0: Hey folks, I'm Dr. C, and welcome to my office hours. So, uh, today, in addition to my ordinarily uh, fantastic co host, uh, Mr. Barry Thornburg, we are joined by um, Shaylin Lisinski, who is a graduate student uh, at CU Boulder in the media studies. And uh, Shaylin, would you like to take a second and uh, let the audience know what it is you do and what you're about?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. So uh, I came into college after being in the military and being a female veteran kind of informs a lot of my interactions with the texts that I uh, study and the research that I do. Uh, My dissertation will be on the bodily capacity of active female bodies on screen. Uh, I'll be looking at um, characters like um, Charlize Theron in uh, Old Guard and Atomic Blonde, looking at sort of um, the archetypes of active female bodies and how the capacity of that body is um, framing these women as capable and their bodies as um, physically taking up space on screen. Uh, I also study representations of um, masculine women or militaristic women and my uh, thesis was on um, Fury Road. So,
0: Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I loved uh, Fury Road. Um, great. Yeah, yeah. It, and, um, I loved it in part because it was one of the few uh, movies that I could watch and just turn my brain off. But, uh, you know, subsequent viewings of it, there is a lot going on in that film yeah. that were absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah. But we have you on today because we want to talk to you about Game of Thrones, which is I understand that you do a lot of research on.
1: Yeah, so I've written a couple of papers, uh, presented at conferences, nothing published yet, um, but it's sort of an ongoing project because uh, as I was writing, the show was still airing, so I've come back to it multiple times. I find the fandom around the show really fascinating, but I also find sort of the um, how the characters are built and the type of archetypes that they're they're playing with in the show really fascinating.
0: All right. So sticking in that vein of what you talked about just now with um, the issue of uh, how, how women in action are, are represented on the screen, um, what is your take on, and again, this is a, a huge question to ask, but broadly speaking, <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones' representation of women particularly within the militaristic capacity because it's it's been praised in some ways as doing a, a lot for um, diverse representation, uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time falling into some very serious tropes that, you know, ostensibly do more harm than good
1: yeah um so i really grappled with this as a fan um as a scholar it it was a little bit easier to deconstruct because once you start peeling back the layers of production where the show is being produced on hbo and uh also the genre that it's in uh, being a fantasy uh genre something that has a lot of sort of um phallic imagery and patriarchal tropes, uh, that kind of gives you some of the answers about what's happened to these characters and how they're framed in this space. Um, mm. But yeah, I i wanted uh, to see something really incredible happen with these characters, and I was definitely fully on board and like ready to see Danny be this incredible warrior woman and um, not exactly what we got as fans. <laughs> so um, my... Um, my sort of issues with the show, or at least my, my grappling with the problematic depiction started really early. So, um, I was, because of what I study and the things that I'm interested in, I was recommended the show by a number of people. And I got oh two episodes in one episode in and uh her wedding night with drogo and i'm i was horrified i'm like why would you ask me to watch this <laughs> so yeah. um i didn't really know what to do with that and the, everybody just kept telling me just hang in there just hang in there um so once i got to i bin- i binged the first five seasons in one summer and once i got to uh the the end of the fifth season i had quite a bit to say about um sort of the negotiations that are happening with empowered female characters um against a patriarchal structure right so the genre itself being really patriarchal and kind of trying desperately to continue to contain these women
0: absolutely and actually that just reminds me referencing uh, the, the wedding night between Daenerys and Drogo just for anyone who may be sensitive to this kind of stuff a quick trigger warning because this does involve discussions of like sexual violence and that kind of thing and that can be really heavy to talk about but um, on that note um, yeah that's the thing is actually a buddy of mine who got into the show uh, he texted me as soon as he watched that first episode mm-hmm. and he was like was that was that did they just depict rape Like, and I was like, yeah, yeah, they did. And he goes, I'd, man, that's a buy-in. I said, yeah, no, no, they are. Mm. they are making you commit from the beginning, um, and pseudo-traumatizing people in the process, yeah. uh, to be sure. Um, and that's one of the things that George R. R. Martin has been criticized for is his use of you know that trope, particularly which is a lot more common in the books than you have in the yeah. uh, in the TV show, which is wild to consider. But actually, on that note, let me ask you: uh, How familiar were you with this narrative or with this genre in general before coming into it?
1: Right. So I didn't have um, I didn't have a whole lot of um, Formal background in sci-fi fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. I was a fan. I grew up with uh, Star Wars. I was a big sci-fi person. Um, I it. hadn't I hadn't watched a whole lot of fantasy, and I think that that's probably for a lot of the the newer fans that didn't read um, Song of Ice and Fire. That this was something that was new to them. That this was fantasy done in a different way because Mm it was H it was HBO. It's almost high concept TV, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that for me, this was something that I probably wouldn't have picked up, um, otherwise, but because it was HBO and it was, you know, heavy hitting actors that are putting in great performances. I was there, I was in it. And, um, i i will give martin a lot of credit for um, when they took something like what he did with the narrative and how he does networks of characters and ensembles of characters rather than central characters it changed the structure of television narrative in a lot of ways Um, so i think that's another thing that got people really um, hooked in but yeah this was really my first engagement with this type of uh, fantasy genre and just to speak to his Um, his sort of defense of rape is that he, you know, from my little bit of research that I've done on how he framed everything was that he based it on sort of the, um, was the War of the Roses and Mm -hmm. that time period and kept saying, well, this is wartime and this is what happens during wartime. And my answer over and over again, whenever I talk about this is like, you can't tell me that when you have, you know, ice zombies and dragons flying around. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, how much, How much are you asking your audience to forgive in in this context, right? How much are you are you willing to um, ask your audience to set aside when you're uh, claiming that it's that it's based on realism? And that's why we have to have so much rape.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's a uh, that's an excellent point because there is a certain buy in um, with this sort of stuff, right? We have ice zombies, and that kind of thing. And actually, uh, certainly for much of Game of Thrones um, in in the book series, it is sort of low fantasy. There's not a lot of magic and stuff like that until you know much later on in the narrative. Right. Um, but and and just as an aside, as a as a dyed in the wool nerd, I really appreciate when researchers who are not already in that world. Uh, uh, Take their perspectives and analyze this stuff because you your um, experience with it is indicative of a lot of people that I've come across, right? Uh, that have been um, introduced once this stuff at the mainstream. So I think that's fantastic. Um, that being said, the yeah Martin is uh, often pushed uh, on that sort of stuff, and in particular because of that sexual dynamic between Daenerys and Drogo, uh, and you know the the idea of being sold as a bride is nothing new. Right. Mm-hmm. The idea of um, then the consummation of a, of a marriage, which is actually not at all consensual and, you know, is a form of sexual violence. That's nothing new. Um, but what's interesting is uh, and I remember reading this and, and uh, also they discuss it in the, the TV show as well, that sex then becomes a matter of achieving equality and uh, some degree of equity power dynamic between these two and that yeah. is really w- weird and complicated <laughs> um, so that's
1: a lot of yeah. what i initially wrote about was that um because of where we're because of where this is because it's hbo and um because this is uh, still a fairly patriarchal um genre that in order for her to be empowered she has to kind of find that power through the already perceived patriarchal channels that exist which is through Mm -hmm. Drogo right Mm -hmm. and even her her shift in power, I wrote a lot about, um, so when I do the textual analysis of the show, I'm looking at like the placement of bodies, how bodies are framed in the screen. And she goes from being really dwarfed by Drogo in those early days to shifting to on top of him. You see a shift in where she's positioned in the frame, all of a sudden she's on top of him, he's looking up at her. her, she literally changes levels in the show. But that's done through a, a cis hetero male fantasy narrative of her having a concubine of her brothers teach her sex
0: and right, so right.
1: you end up with this very um heteronormative um reappropriation of sexuality and her introduction into her own sexuality that's being channeled through a male fantasy
0: right right because the um uh, the acts that the the behavior in which she's learning is from a woman who is uh, adjusting to a Very particular role that is meant to be centered around the client and all that kind of stuff as opposed to you know self-satisfaction that kind of thing absolutely um
2: something that this reminds me of is discussions that i've heard about in terms of um representation uh in in films and stories like this where where you know some have have argued well why why don't we see more black bodies on screen and things like that within the fantasy genre and and the the argument in terms of like what i've heard with lord of the rings is, well this is this is meant to be depicting some sort of like uh european sort of uh or, or or um british isles sort of culture or something like that and i'm like but but no, no, because Middle <laughs> Earth is none of that. Like Middle Earth is fantasy. It, it really is actually just kind of a thing uh, that, that exists. A- Let's hear the actually.
0: A- actually, Barry, um, <laughs> actually. I hate to stop you and correct you, but uh, canonically, Middle Earth is a precursor to our world. And <laughs> and so yes, that's that. That's as much as I got. That's <laughs> so. yeah.
1: That's all I got. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's, uh, Lord of the Rings is really fascinating to me, Um, Richard Dyer writes a lot on that and I think one of the, in a colloquial way to look at what he's saying is that basically in the world of Lord of the Rings like eventually there's like a white scale And if you get too white, you become invisible and then ethereal. And I find that hysterical because that is exactly what happens in those films. Like, it's just Frodo Frodo getting so white and Galadriel getting so white that she disappears, like, literally becomes,
0: uh, you know,
1: an ethereal character. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. uh, of course Gandalf, right? Like right, <laughs> that. Right. There's basically instead of a, it's a white scale on the.
0: <laughs> Listen, as as a, as a Chicano, uh, we we claim Gandalf as one of ours. <laughs> um, he he is no, he he is so many archetypes of, <laughs> of, of Chicanos and other in like Mexican Americans rolled into one. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, no, you're you're right, and w- what's funny about that is um. R- cause I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan and I have to grapple with it because there's a lot of love about it. And there's also a lot that's like, all right, well this was written at a certain time by a certain kind of person. Um, they introduce a hero of color in one of the games. And, uh, but what's also interesting was that was the last installment. Uh, and, I'm sure it was by coincidence the token estate said we're not letting you guys use like making more games like this because this is all kinds of wild What they found objectionable was the gratuitous violence. Uh, it was the uh, the war Shadow of war and the shadow and the shadow of, the, uh, shadow of Mordor series um, But yeah anyway, but no you're right it, it absolutely there is that sort of sliding scale of whiteness and uh, once you become super white Uh, Ascendant white, as it were. Uh, You either go to the undying lands or just straight up disappear uh, from from the color spectrum entirely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting if we put that in context with what happened to Star Wars. So we're all, we're talking around genre and all of this, but really, um, and this has been the criticism of of sci-fi and fantasy for a long time is that we don't have people of color writing and getting published in the same way so um what you end up with is just this representation of this white fantasy world and um star wars is a really good example of sort of the backlash of what happened to this franchise when they started putting people of color in central places in in the films um so yeah it's uh it has all of the potential to be this sort of liberating um democratic space um creative space and it doesn't always live up to that in fact most of the time it doesn't live up to that
0: and and that's a really interesting point because it seems like um fans the, the more unfortunate fans will say often want some sort of narrative justification for why there are people of color when they do appear right so like right. when uh, John, John Boyega playing Finn uh, appeared and they were like you can't have a black stormtrooper and they're, the the you know that I had a that nerd twitch started to manifest a little bit with me because I was thinking well actually they started conscripting people instead of using clones because the clones were pregnant that's not the point we're not getting into that alright look you can have black people in space okay um that, <laughs> that's totally acceptable and you don't need a narrative justification and they, people just exist. It's wild. If we understand that, you know, skin color is an adaptation based off of latitude and exposure to the sun, right. are you telling me that everyone in the universe is just going to be this one particular shade of white? Uh, it, it's absolutely wild, right? That's the fiction <laughs> part of this. Um, but along those same lines, even going back to Game of Thrones, so the. Uh, peop- you have very few people of color. Now we understand that Westeros is meant to be a uh, European setting, right? right. Um, that being said, even in universe, there is a lot of uh, international trade between places like uh, uh, the, the nations of Essos and Dorne and the Summer Isles, all of which have people of color. So you would expect the way that history goes, where, where capital goes, people go. So you would sort of expect to see a, at least a few more, um, you know, people of color, especially, you know, folks from like the Summer Isles, right? The uh, the region where black folk come from in, uh, in Game of Thrones. Um, but you don't hardly see them at all. Um, yeah, with rare exception.
1: Yep. Well, and um, thinking about sort of, in, and initially when I came into it, looking at... Um, the are and and what those bodies are doing as far as um, how they're positioned in the narrative and the way that they're projected um, and depicted in those spaces, you can definitely see this um, sort of, you can see the lineage and effect of like chattel slavery, right? And what bodies mm-hmm. labor is then put on in this world, um, what bodies have power in this world. And that becomes really, mm-hmm. um, indicative of a white patriarchal society. So, mm-hmm.
0: and so, um, that brings me to a, to a thought that I had <clears throat> a little bit earlier and that I lost track of, and that is that the role of, um, uh, white femininity and, and that identity in patriarchal systems and both as a upholder of it, but also as a uh, subversive. Um, and so what, what comes to mind is, and I say this as a person of color uh, who has a, a white mother, white women, when they are associated with bodies of color, have this very interesting uh, th- a needle they have to thread a little bit, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because on the one hand, you can have uh, a very exploitative um, relationship right uh sort of what we see with um going, like using Daenerys as an example right so she has a lot of support from uh, uh women of color uh or you know the freed slaves like in Marine and other places and she absolutely leverages that or the the issue with um Missandei Missandei mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Miss Miss yeah Missandei yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> um and, which I would suggest while you know she deeply loved her was a bit exploitive certainly you know I don't know that I could be wrong there. That's just sort of my my take on it. But at the same time, I totally
1: agree. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: At the same time, when you look at like white nationalist literature and uh, there's one in particular, which I'd I'd, I'm gonna err on the side of not talking about it because it gets enough press. It gets enough around already. But basically, there's a really terrible uh, white nationalist uh, narrative that's been circulating for like 40 years now. But they execute white women who uh, are romantically entwined with people of color, right? Uh, they're, They're among the first to go. So it's that interesting balance between being a part of a system and being able to leverage it, but at the same time being very perilous in that positionality as well, because given the opportunity, they would be purged. Uh, from those sort of societies, from those you know dominant uh, uh, white supremacist societies. I don't know what what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, um, I think that we see. I I think that Danny gets punished. I think my my initial argument is that her only um access to powers through these very restricted channels and that she's punished for for using the channels that are, you know, at at her disposal. Um so yeah, I would absolutely agree with um we can't fathom in this society um a fully fledged empowered and also um woke character that is going to free the slaves and genuinely free the slaves not free the slaves for her gain right not free the slaves so that she can then use that to um you know to shape her own army um so yeah i definitely think that uh you end up back sort of in the same place over and over again you get these little negotiations of power with miss andy and and her love for her um and that even being this is what i found really egregious is that that was um her death uh was used as the catalyst for danny's sort of laying waste to uh king's landing right so now mm-hmm. you have this um complication of like A a white savior narrative and then also when that doesn't come to fruition her getting punished narratively as um, She has to become a bad character, right? She has to become something that we are ridding ourselves from
0: Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about that turn um, and and compare Mm -hmm. her maybe a little bit to I'm not sure how much you've looked at uh, the other women that are militaristic. So you have like Arya you have uh, Brianna Tarth um, to some extent you have Sansa I mean she does play a, a sort of a military yeah. role in, in her capacities so like when you look at because there's always that question when it comes to re- the representation of women in this sort of capacity are we just reskinning act men action heroes right? right just in a different uh, setup or are there significant qualitative differences what, what's your perspective on that
1: um, yeah, I think that uh, Aria is an exception in this one. I think Arya is probably the best thing to come out of this show. And yeah. uh, Brienne of Tarth, I would have given that same accolade to, except for the fact that um, when they... I mean, they really do her dirty by taking Jamie away from her and putting Jamie back with Cersei. So the one time that she allows herself some pleasure, the one time that she sort of breaks down her um, sort of self-restraint, with him and it's not really rewarded. It's actually, she's she's left as this sort of pathetic character that went after a man that didn't really want her and she was a convenience for him. And so you're, you're undermining a lot of the authority that her valor and her steadfastness awarded her throughout the seasons, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So you
1: end, end in this really complicated place with she's just the scorned woman um but she's going to valorize jamie in the um in the archive right everything she writes about him so again like i just feel like it could have been more um and my issues with all of this is that um martin's structure is really fascinating because again you can't characters don't come in with their um with their armor of being central characters right um so everybody's up for grabs in this one he does um,
0: he does not believe in plot armor not at all right
1: <laughs> Right, so, um, which I found really fascinating, but it also means that um, the really empowered female characters end up being satellite characters like Brienne and Arya, which are not characters that you're seeing in every single episode. They're not characters, they have significant plot moments, but they're not driving the plot each week, right? So um, the two that are, that I focused a lot of my work on was Danny and Sansa. And my, my overarching argument is that these women had to be forged. They had to be punished um, in this world in order to achieve any kind of liberating empowerment. Um, and then Danny was ultimately um, punished then again when she abused that power, right? Um, when when that power was seen as too much or too big, uh, we had to we had to give her the Mad Queen trope there at the end.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I think you're right. Um, and you know what's interesting about that is, yeah, uh, you know, I think. The last season, season eight, was the one that uh, Martin had next to nothing to do with, right? Right. In terms of actually writing and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was really, I was even willing to go along with the narrative turn that it took between Jamie and Brienne right. uh, with them being together and then him leaving. Because I get, I, I, while I didn't like it for his character, I understood because we're, that's almost like an addiction, right? Yes. The relationship yeah. with his and his sister is is like an addiction and you fall off the wagon and that kind of stuff and I get mm-hmm. it. But when she like valorized them in the white book, oh, <laughs> I that was like, just- what? It's don't. What, what is Brienne? Come on! No, <laughs> no, don't do you that. You know better. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. um... I
1: really, I really wanted to see her in Tormund. I was just in love with his infatuation with her. They felt so equally matched. They were both warriors, you know. I yeah. just, I loved that narrative. So, I appreciate that the coming mm-hmm. together of her and Jamie was really symbolic in a lot of ways because she is decapacitated by her gender and mm-hmm. he's de- decapacitated by not having his hand. So their mm-hmm. coming together was a really beautiful thing in that moment and I loved that. Um, yeah. but yeah her her giving him all the all the credit there at the end. I was just like oof. Uh, oof.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a piece of high fiction there. Who writes to like mm. that about their ex? Um
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well really motivated
0: my my favorite part about their relationship was actually uh, not to do with them, but Tormund when he's like, oh, right, okay, well, I guess this is the way it is. I'm moving on like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's emotionally healthy. That is wildly Thank you. mature. <laughs> no,
1: Torment didn't get enough credit for being no. just like, oh, man, he is the yeah. ultimate feminist. He's, he's, lo- he's loving it. I was uh, infatuated with him and yeah, he, res- yeah. <laughs> he resembles my husband in a lot of ways. So there's something to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it just I love that. Like, you know, just you know, longs after this woman, and then mm-hmm. finds out she chose someone else. And is like, oh, I guess I better move on. Like,
1: <laughs> right, a hundred percent wonderful. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, that would be the death of just about all Hallmark romantic comedies. Is <laughs> just oh, I see you're, you're clearly not into me. I'm going to respect your agency, and um, I'm gonna move go on. burn yeah,
1: burn so. down this hotel that we built together. Uh, you <laughs> know. <laughs>
0: Right, oh man. So then, and I, I, I was actually kind of surprised that they didn't uh, take Brienne in a sort of asexual uh, turn because. She, yeah. it, when I read her in the books, um, she struck me as in, in the same for much of the season, uh, much of the seasons in the show, she strikes me as someone who is clearly a little resentful of her gender, which I understand she was mocked and ridiculed and absolutely and probably has some degree of body dysmorphia and that kind of thing. But that aside she did not strike me as someone who was even particularly interested outside of her love for renly which uh i just assumed was a matter of like validation like this is someone who's given me a place to belong um so i don't know i'd but that's yeah (laughs) yeah.
1: i my person i'm gonna be a total killjoy and say that it's just because it's framed in this like hyper patriarchal gendered world where like all value is coming through that the the situation of gender, like how gender is sure. situated in the show. So um, they can't fathom a character that's not going to have some function to, um, to validate the male characters that they're mm-hmm. working for, right? She yeah. gives Jamie a lot of validation. Um, I will say one of the things that probably was <clears throat> sort of unintentionally progressive about her character was that because she's a woman, um that gets used in a really fantastic way when she becomes sort of um when she is becomes the protector of sansa so her Mm -hmm. closeness with women that she's protecting and her ability to for those women to feel safe around her that was really key Mm -hmm. and i think that they didn't really go into that very much is that sansa felt safe around her and felt protected around her um and what was their mom's name? The same with her, too. Uh, uh Yeah, so this yeah. idea that there would be um, sort of this really beautiful um, feminist camaraderie that they, these women feel protected and safe around each other. Um, but it's, again, it's very, very understated and not really explored a whole lot.
0: Yeah, I, I was just, are you familiar at all with the, the Lady Stoneheart thing?
1: mm no. Ladies,
0: <clears throat> well in the books. Uh, uh, And spoilers, but these books have been out for almost 10 years now. Um,
1: Oh, you don't, yeah, you don't have to apologize if it's post a decade later.
0: So, yeah. So, you know how, like, some of the characters come back to life, the whole Lord of Light magic. Right. uh, Catelyn comes back. uh, only, Only devoid of any humanity. And she just, Go sets about having people murdered left and right, and one of one person she charges with that is uh, or actually at the end of one of I think it's the fifth book, which was the last book to come out almost 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> I'm bearing a grudge. Um, uh, she actually captures Brian, uh, and you're sort of waiting to see what happens with her, but but oh, yeah, God. so and I, I wonder about that because, um, th- that combined with things like Daenerys's madness. Um go back to this idea of women uh, uh this trope of women being governed by their emotions or in the case of uh Catelyn uh the lack thereof. Uh and actually that's an interesting part of the story because she never accepts Jon, right? They they play that right. up like, you know, you, you ain't my kid. Right. Um and and all that kind of stuff. So like it it I don't know, that's just a thought that occurred to me just this moment of how they sort of go between either entirely governed by emotions or just not at all. There's no, there's very rarely a healthy medium except for perhaps Brienne in the way that she sort of relates mm-hmm. to, you know, some of these other women, so.
1: Yeah, know. and I think that like a really good... um a really good interjection in how to frame those against like the difference between somebody like Danny and Brienne is power. So when women have access to that level of power and control over other bodies, it, it very, very often gets framed as madness. It's, it's not mm-hmm. so when men have power and I've talked about this a lot in the context of, um, Disney villains, you take mm-hmm. Ursula, for example, Ursula is it wants Triton's, throne right um and we don't know the narrative of like if she had claimed to that to to, to that throne at any point earlier um before we arrive in that narrative but the idea that her wanting that her desire for that throne her desire to have that power is framed as mad it's framed as witchcraft it's framed as evil and the same thing happens in game of thrones on a much larger scale so I mean they do it uh, I think that Arya is undermined in that context, the power that she gains um, through uh, her ability to Face shift and and be in all of these different all the training that she gets it's undermined by the fact that she's a child essentially Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: um, that sense of where we allow power to exist right whose hands are we comfortable with power being in and um, it's very often um, okay when it's when it's men I mean we laugh at um, at Baratheon you know we laugh at Robert you know he's he's an oaf it's not. but he has tons of power until he dies. I mean, tons. And so it's just interesting to me that um, women gaining access to that level of power, even in in a fantasy space, is so uncomfortable that they are then framed as mad or it's contained in another way. Like in Sansa's case, it's like she doesn't want more than the North. She just, right. It gets framed over and over again. She just wants the North. That's all right. Which that would never, I mean, that would never fly. If it was a male character, we expect them to have that sense of like, you should serve the world. We,
2: we expected that. Yes. uh, Yeah. Are expected to be different.
1: Yeah. I mean, we saw that with Jon. It was it was infuriating that he didn't want the throne, right? It was infuriating mm-hmm. to watch. So um, he's him and Ned, you're perfect for it. You absolutely should have this power, right? We're trying to hand it to them. When we have um, women that are trying to change the world and make it a better place, we then turn them mad and kill them off, right? And then unqualified males take over. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: Well, I, I think added to that, it's um, the, the because it's as you pointed out, like this is a, a patriarchal world that these women are having to navigate. And because of the structure that they're working within they have to take unconventional means to get to the places that they want to go. Right. Whereas the men get to work within the system that is already set up. However devious they may be, they're still working within that system. right? And and so just because of the way the system is set up, we view the way that people are navigating it differently. there There is a scheminess to those who have to work outside the system mm-hmm. or in Mm-hmm. right even yeah. though that even though lots of the motivations or the the you know aspirations might be similar across characters the way they get there necessarily has to be different mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's a good point to bring up with Arya too i mean she has a kill list if that was a male character we would view that much different that would be a variable psychopath right somebody yeah
0: Mm-hmm. yeah no that is not the mark of a healthy and well-adjusted mind no absolutely not that and you were talking about yeah where do we choose to have power and where does it lie in this case with a very stabby child um mm-hmm. so
1: very stabby child i love a very that.
0: stabby child um and children should not be stabby That's one of my hardline rules as a new father i have determined my child oh, less less stabby than a child stabby. you know Less don't tidy. give guns to robots and don't give knives to children. It's true. Mm-hmm. You know, they got For those sure. little hands with the...
2: Well, with... I guess guns to children, too. Never mind. <laughs> that was bad...
0: Good day, Barry. That took a turn. <laughs>
1: that was assumed. Oh, well. That was assumed.
0: Uh, yeah, we didn't need to say that out loud. We knew. We knew that. The... <laughs> The other thing that that comes to mind in in talking about the sort of the power dynamics and gender and that kind of stuff is uh, how did you what did you think of of Daenerys's relationship to men post Drogo?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting that she sort of... um goes through all of that and then kind of puts drogo on this pedestal and everybody's held against him so Mm -hmm. it goes from her using him to gain power and and being powerful in that space to her just seeing men as the as, as these like pawns on a chessboard and she just moves them around according to how she's navigating that so basically the idea is that her Heteronormative like nuclear family resolution is stolen from her, so she rejects it completely, and she's never mm-hmm. gonna right like until John, which is incestuous. So it's it's always going to have an undermining element um, that that takes away that that happy heteronormative mm-hmm. resolution.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it could have yeah. been it could have been great, except for that whole you know right. your aunt <laughs> right. thing. God Almighty, and I—I I, just as a footnote, I have uh two sets of siblings that are twins. All right, and so watching this show,
2: oh yeah, like it's
0: yeah, this <laughs> is rough. It is oh God. Anyway, yep. I mean, whatever.
2: Uh,
0: what was let's that, end Mary? on
1: that. Let's let's yeah, close, let's, let's, let's close on it yeah. on that. Like just yeah. the incest and bye, like bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I think Barry, well, Barry's well, been trying to get us to wrap up for a couple minutes here, so.
2: Making hand motions. Come let's on, go. guys. Come on, come
0: on. You should just scream, stop. That's <laughs> that, well, And then we just cut it. And then we just and. end. It's Done. so
1: easy to talk about. We could talk about this for days and not yeah. still have fun, amazing things to say. So this yeah. was incredible. I cannot thank y'all enough for allowing me to come do this and, and talk about my complicated fandom with game of thrones
0: absolutely well, and we appreciate it and we'd love to have you back on uh, because god knows we're not that interesting so
1: uh... <laughs> highly disagree
2: don't say it don't, you don't, don't, say don't tell that. people that <laughs> cool well uh, yeah that, i that,
0: and thank you shaylen for joining us appreciate it
1: thank you so much for having me this was tons of fun